Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Hey, it's so great to be with you guys. How you doing? All right, all right, I'll take that. I'll take that. You know, I mean, a little more would have been good. Sometimes... Um, I wish I was like a pastor of like a really hyper, like charismatic church, you know, where they just went, amen, all the time, because I'd feel affirmed. And amen. All right, but don't go crazy, because here's the thing. It's like, no, because I'll tell you, when it's one of you, then, then, it's, then that's when we have to throw you out. Because there's always like, there's like one guy, amen, oh yeah, and then everyone focuses on that person. So, but no, I'm just, I'm kind of half joking. All that to say that... I love it when you guys are fired up, because I'm fired up, and I'm fired up about what we're talking about, because, man, this, like, every day I get up in the morning, and I see the world, and the problems of the world, and I go, oh, this is the answer. This is the answer right here. We have the answer, and if it's your first time here, you know, just have to pardon the confidence, but I was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, and now I see I was a moron, and I'm still a moron, but God loves me and has rescued me, right? Okay. Yeah, 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 this is fun. So last week, we wrapped up our message, and we were in Genesis on our X and Y series, and we wrapped up when we, when we did on the Garden of Eden, and there was Adam and Eve, and we said that Eve was made from the rib of Adam so that she was like from him. She was part of him. And far from being denigrating to women, it's actually the greatest news for women because the more we hide that story and we mock that story and we reject that story, the world becomes a far more dangerous place for women. Every man needs to know that according to scripture, the woman he marries is to be treated as though she comes from him and is a part of him. And every woman he interacts with, he needs to know where her origin is, that she is to be treasured. And so it says in Ephesians, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. See, he roots back to the story. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So our young men need to be taught to love and look out for women, not to take advantage of them, but to treat them as their own bodies. And I can't help but think that maybe there'd be no need for a Me Too movement, or the weekly calling out of some other man in a position of power for something that he did, or who knows if he did or not, but what's to say he didn't because of the world that we live in? But there'd be no need for that if we would have actually read this story as though it were true and not just folklore. So there's this incredible scene where the woman is brought to the man, and as we said last week, this is the first time he's ever seen a woman, and, and a naked woman for that matter, and it's like, right? Because up at this point, he's only seen like cows and sheep and horses, and they're all naked too, but this is not the same, right? So he sees the woman, and what does he say? At last, right? He breaks out into a little song, a little rap, right? He's so fired up because there she is. He's like, ooh, you know? And it's like the greatest thing that he's ever seen in his life. 
She is flesh in my flesh and bone in my bones. And we said that the relationship between men and women is unique. Outside of God, outside of God himself, only the woman possesses in her nature what a man most deeply needs. And only a man possesses for the woman what she most deeply needs. And that is why she is called the strength at the point of weakness. And then what we see is because of that fact, because of that that relationship, that synergy, that compliment, as we called last week's message, the greatest compliment, it is because of that very fact that it says she then leaves and he leaves father and mother to become one flesh and start a new family. And so marriage then, what we learn from this fact, from what we learn from this truth, from this timeless airtight reality is that marriage is the first foundation and building block of society and thus it is completely asinine for the government to think that they can redefine it. The government can no, redefine, no, the government can no more redefine marriage than it can redefine the sun. You can't do it. The government doesn't define marriage. It can only recognize marriage. Just like it recognizes time or a mountain or the fact that it's winter. You say, well, how can you say this, Tim? Because marriage predates the government. Marriage is independent of the government, just like the sun is independent of the government. And a mountain is independent of the government. Or winter is independent of the government. These things don't care what the government thinks because they're hardwired into creation. Furthermore, we don't define marriage. Marriage defines us. It drives how society is organized and doled out. It, it, it's the foundation of our entire economic system. It's the center of art and literature. Incidentally, the last time, just by way of just information for you, just so you can understand these things with a little more clarity, as, I, as I've found, as I've looked at this, the last time the government tried to redefine marriage was back in the 1930s, and it went the other way and restricted marriage and said it could only be between a, a white person and another white person, or a black person and another black person. And this was back then because the tide at the time, the, what was very popular at the time, was this concept of eugenics or racial purity or the idea of a master race. And it was very popular, especially among the more educated among us. It was racist and it was evil. And it caused the government for a time, at least in several states, to change the definition of marriage. Thank God it failed, otherwise I would never... It would not have either a worship pastor or a wife. Um, the former, my worship pastor, who's, you know, we said this before, I was kind of joking, he's half Filipino and half white, and my wife, who's half white and half Mexican, thank God that, that the, the laws were changed to recognize nature rather than impose a secondary belief on top of it. But that's, you know, as Ronald Reagan once said, you know, the nine most terrifying words you can ever hear are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help right? So we don't, you know, we don't, we're worried about these kinds of things. But I only say this because I only bring this up because when we look at this story, the reason we're talking about this is because our, our understanding does not come from what people think. It comes from a timeless story that tells us who we are. And you have to understand that. And no matter what anybody else says, it has no real bearing on what is true. And that's why I'm so passionate about this because you need to have this set clearly in your mind so you can interpret the times. 
In any case, we have this very first marriage, Adam and Eve, and we can't look at the, we can't leave this first story without looking at the last verse of chapter two, which is verse 25, which says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And that is the apex of the story. There they are in the garden, naked and not ashamed. There are no secrets. There's no insecurity. There's no hiding. There's no need to put an Instagram filter on you when you take a selfie. You just take it as is. You don't need a little, little tongue that sticks out or the little doggy ears, you know. You, you don't need, you just, you're, you're so confident in who you are. There's no shame. They've got nothing to hide from one another. No text messages they don't want the other to see. No secret credit card bills that they've got going on that they don't want to expose to the other. There's no fear, no embarrassment. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean to say there's no romance because you say, well, Tim, the, you know, romance is all about mystery, and it's true. So they're spending their, their lives getting to know one another. They're separate people, and that's the mystery of romance, and that's very timely because hopefully it should be no mystery that Valentine's Day is coming up. This is a little tip for you guys. You're like, oh, shoot, some of you did that. You went, are you kidding me? Yep, it's on Thursday, so make a little note. And you'll be okay. And you'll thank me for reminding you so you don't get in trouble. In any case, um, so the question I want to ask, though, is here is this place of paradise and perfection where there's nothing to hide. And you compare that to where we are now. And so it's, like, important to ask the question, what happened? How did we go from that to this? From the strength at the point of weakness, as we talked about last week, to the battle of the sexes. How do we go from a place where we were one another's greatest allies to a place of suspicion and rejection and abuse? How do we go from lifelong intimacy to Tinder? How did we get there? And the second question we have to ask is, how do we get back? What happened, and how can we make it back? Can we make it back to Eden? So the first answer to the first question, or the answer to the first question, to what happened, you really only need one word. It's pretty simple. I tried to make it more complicated, but I couldn't do it. It's just really simple, and it's one word with three letters, and it's called sin. Sin happened, and it's important to understand that if you're looking for the reason why there's a battle of the sexes, if you're looking for a reason why there is confusion and anger and frustration and why there's women's marches and, and you know, toxic masculinity and all this tension that's going on and all of this, even in, 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 at the macro level, but then the micro level between men and women and relationships, why there's, it, it really boils down, if you really want to make it down to its very fundamental core, it is sin. And how do we know this? Well, its story is very graphically illustrated for us in chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Genesis is tragic, and you may want to turn there and follow along as we go through this, but you have to understand it. Chapter 3 is absolutely essential for you to have as the glasses you put on in your life to be able to see why the world is the way it is around us. Because in the midst of all this beauty and all this perfection of the Garden of Eden, there was a snake in the grass. There was a serpent waiting in the wings, and he asks a very deceptive question. And, he's, and it's in um, chapter 3, where he says to the woman, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Do you remember that? That's what God said. You can, well, what God said, he talked about the tree, there was a tree in there we weren't supposed to eat. But the serpent says, did God really say you can't eat of any tree? No. 
God never said that. But with Satan, it's always a lie wrapped in the veneer of what seems to be true. He casts doubt on God's goodness. How unreasonable of God to think that you can't eat of any tree? That's stupid. But that's not what's true. He said you can't eat of one tree. Now, the obvious question that some of you might ask is, well, why was there one tree there in the beginning? Why did he just not have any tree? Why does he have to put a tree that, that, that tempts them or causes them to be tempted? And the answer is really simple. Because God's not a creeper. It's true. If, if there was no tree in the garden that would have given them the option to walk away from God, it would make God into kind of a manipulative, not kind of, but a very manipulative, stalking, abusive, um, coercer of emotion and commitment. Like the crazies you see in the Lifetime original movies, right? Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. It's 2 a.m., you can't sleep, you flip through the channels, <gasps> right? The crazy guy that's outside in the car, you know what I mean, waiting, and the woman's like, oh, you know, he goes in the house. He, he, it would make God not a God worthy to be worshipped because he is someone who forces people into a place that does not give them an option to walk away from him. And we lose our dignity that way. We lose our humanity that way. That's not who we were made to be. And it gives no glory to God. It just shows him as kind of, again, a creeper, making a bunch of people he forces to love him. So in any case, what happens is they have the opportunity to go their own way. Now, Eve is no dummy. She's really not. She clarifies in verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither you shall touch it lest you die. So she clarifies. She's right. But the serpent is said to be more crafty than any other beast of the field or any other animal that God has created. He is more cunning, and again, he is an expert at twisting the truth and making lies sound so good. And so now he just goes right for the jugular and says in verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Come on, you're going to die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Once again, a lie wrapped in truth. First of all, mischaracterizing God as someone who's trying to trick her when it's actually the opposite is true. He's the one that's trying to trick her. But he's saying, you know, you're not going to die. And it's true, you won't die, at least right away. And your eyes will be open, but not like you think they will. But here's the lie. You won't become more like God. No, you become less like God. If you choose this path, the result is not that you become stronger, you become weaker, because that's what sin does. Sin does a variety of things. But that's the lie. You become more like God. No, 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 you become less like God. But the hook is you can take God's place. This is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to say, you know, God, I know you say this, but it doesn't make sense to me. Have you ever done that in your life? Have you ever said that in your life? Like, God, I know you say this, but in my mind, that doesn't add up. I, I think we're, we're more sophisticated now in the 21st century. We, we know more about science. We know more about life. We, we know more about history. We know more about the world around us than this archaic thing that God, you said is, that we need to do. It's exactly the same thing. So you can be the boss of your own life if you want. And so then in what is the, perhaps the great tragic 
line in all of the Bible, really. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, see, rationalization, objectifying, hmm, it looks good, right? Making up her own mind. And that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Oh, this is good. Come on, it's not bad. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. By the way, it's very important. He was with her. Well, you know, he was out working. No, he was, he was with her. Passive male. What are you, what are you doing? Uh, maybe you shouldn't do that. Okay. <laughs> then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So there it is. There is the first sin. What does sin do? Let me give you a couple things sin does. The first thing that sin does is it produces shame. It produces shame. That's like the instant thing. And this is very important that we understand that because shame is pretty much the clothing that we wear and actually the reason for our clothing. See, they both did what was right in their own eyes and the first consequence is that they knew they were naked. Whereas before they were naked and unashamed, right? That's why we read that. We're gonna get a lot of scripture tonight because I just wanna give you guys as much scripture as I possibly can. But it tells the truth so beautifully. They said they were naked and unashamed and that's setting you up, right? It's setting you up for now the fact they're naked and they're ashamed. And we know they're ashamed because the first thing they did was they made clothes. They're like, you know, and look at you, you're naked, you're naked. Let's make some clothes, right? So that's what they do. And they're like, don't look at me, don't look at me, right? It's shame, that's the first time this happens. It creates a fear of being found guilty or being held responsible, and most importantly, for being exposed for who you really are. Oh, there it is. Fear of being found out. And isn't that how we live every single day? They're going to find out who you really are, man. Everyone knows you're just a, you're a poser. You're a liar. Cover up, cover up, cover up. And that leads us to the second thing that sin does, which is this. It isolates us. It isolates us. Because what's the first thing that they do after they make their clothes? They hide. They hide. It says they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths, and they hide. In fact, we'll see this in just a second, because we've been hiding ever since. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid. Can you imagine that for a minute? I mean, here is the God of the universe who made them, who gave them everything, who gave them each other. I mean, we just, where did we go? We just had chapter two last week. It was so wonderful and beautiful. And now they're hiding. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, interesting. We talked last week about responsibility. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now don't think that God, well, he's God, he should know. Okay. Yet, when you have little kids, and the little kid hides behind, like, a stick, and you walk, and you're playing hide-and-seek, and you're like, you know, where are you? <laughs> Duh. Right? But you're playing along. Hey, where are you? It's, it's more of a, 
It's not an actual question. It's almost like rhetorical, like, what are you doing? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And listen to these words, man, listen to these words. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. Where, where, where was, did God create the world with fear? No. Fear was not present until sin injected it. Did nakedness, was it, was it in the way that he's using it in terms of like I'm exposed? Exposure was not a, was not a principle of creation. And nor was hiding. Of course, he says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And here is one of the greatest blunders. And guys, we've been doing this ever since, man. This is unbelievable what Adam was able to pull off in one sentence, right? Watch what he does. So this, this is classic spin 101, baby. Right? Did you eat of the fruit I told you not to eat? What comes out of his mouth is unbelievable. The man said, the woman you gave to be with me. Do you see that? One, two, ba-bam. Her and you. You see that? I mean, it's just right out of here. He doesn't, he doesn't answer the question. He pivots, right? That's what you're supposed to do. You see this in the media all the time. Uh, are you raising our taxes? Listen, we have a lot of things going on in our society. You know, that's what you do, right? You don't answer a question directly like that. He doesn't do it either. The first man was full of spin, baby. Bounce that sucker off like Teflon, man. Ain't my problem. The woman that you put here with me, I was fine, man. I had the animals. I had a nice schedule going. I had my great bachelor pad. You know, she came in and ruined everything. I didn't ask for her. You just see, this is what's going on, right? I would love to see the look on her face that moment, too. Can you imagine? Looks could kill. Okay. That would be amazing. I'd love to see it. When I go to heaven, I hope I see that on video. I hope he had some hidden cameras going on. You know what I mean? I bet you he did. I mean, why not, you know? Anyway, so he says, the woman who you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. I mean, yeah, fine, I ate it, okay? Because she brought it to me. You brought her to me. What am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? Man, you're right. You can just see that. Can you not see this happening? Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman, she's awesome too. The woman said, the serpent deceived me. I'm just a helpless woman. He deceived me. It's not fair. And I ate it. None of, no one's taking responsibility. The woman you gave to me, she gave me the fruit, and yeah, okay, I ate it. And in one sentence, Adam throws everyone in his life that he knows under the bus. He has no more relationships now. He's at odds with everyone in his life in one sentence. This beautiful the way this is written. The way that this is communicates exactly the problem because he isolates himself. It's her fault and God really it's your fault. But that's what sin does. It causes you to shift the blame and justify yourself and turn your friends into enemies. Why? Because our biggest Goal in life is self-protection and self-justification and freedom from guilt. Man, guilt is a powerful, 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 powerful thing. You will do almost anything you can to make sure no one blames you. And why? 
Well, you see the seeds of it right back in this story. It's how we are made. When you walk away from God, you immediately sense shame, you immediately hide, and you go on the defensive, and you will cut everyone down. Imagine this. This is the woman he was, that was brought to him, part of his own flesh. Just a second ago, he's like, Elias, this is my flesh, my flesh, this is the greatest thing. Oh, honey, you're so wonderful. He's bringing her stuff all the time. He's making her like, you know, like carving little, you know, things for her and making furniture and everything. Thing, like, an, like the Amish or whatever. He's doing all this great stuff, building this great house. She's like this wonderful little treasure to him, right? And now he's like, you, you want, you're mad? Take it out on her. And what happens? See, and this was so important to understand. What sin does, when we talk about masculinity and femininity, sin erodes and degrades masculinity. And it erodes and degrades femininity. So, there's a wonderful illustration of this, by the way. There's this crazy festival. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's called Burning Man. It's out in the Nevada desert. I don't recommend that you go to it, but it's interesting. You can see pictures of it. And it's every August, and they create kind of a city out of nothing. And uh, so there's like a million people that go out from, to this place. And they, I mean, literally, they, they, they go out in the desert. There's nothing there. And they, they have streets. They bring street signs. And people go, and it's become this massive, huge festival. And you can see aerial pictures of it. And it's like these circles of, of, of roads. And, and there's, like I said, there's like a million people, I think. Something like that. A crazy number of people. And it's like a gigantic art festival slash camp out with lots of booze and sex is what it is. And you don't have to necessarily get involved in all that stuff. I've known um, some people who have gone there and, and kept their noses clean, but the environment's all around you. and It's kind of a free-for-all, you know, live off the grid for a week and celebrate humanity. It's a very interesting phenomenon. And a lot of high-dollar, uh, very wealthy people are now attending it, which is making the original people mad because, you know, they're coming in with their, you know, big um, motorhomes or whatever, and it's, they're glamping instead of, you know, you know, living in the back of their truck and all this kind of stuff. So it's this whole interesting thing that's happening. But I say this because they, they, ha and they have this ceremony where they, they burn this, this effigy of some guy, and that's why they call it Burning Man. But they have all these displays of art. And uh, not this past year, but the year before, the, the, the art display that, that of all of the things that were displayed that captured everyone more than anything else was made by, I think it's like a Ukrainian guy, but it's this powerful piece of art that you can see up here on the screen. And um, there's two photos of it, one in the day and one at night. But this, this really resonated with people. And this guy isn't a believer or anything, but it's exactly the kind of thing that we're talking about. Because in the middle, you have like a, a, these two children, right? One's kind of a man, one kind of, kind of a woman, right? It's kind of how it's, and, and, and they're reaching out to each other. But, but they're caged by these by this iron kind of um, structures that are these men and women that have men and women that have their backs to each other and their heads down, and it's powerful. And people, people, when people saw this, they were like blown away. It spoke to them. It's all over the internet because it says something that we know to be true. And once again, the reason I talk about this is this isn't a, this isn't a Christian thing. This isn't a Christian festival by any. It's like you know if you're gonna go, I just say I warned you. But. But what I'm trying to say is that the, the world understands this reality. They understand the distance. And so you have the, 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 the little kids. You know what that is? That's Eden, guys. That's Eden. That's innocence. That's purity. That's no shame. Reaching out. 
confidence, connection. And what does sin do? It turns us away from each other. Heads down. Closed down. No eye contact. No nothing. And that's the tragedy. And you have to understand the core reason that we have the battle of the sexes, the core reason why we have all these issues we have going on in our society is not because we need to understand each other more. No, the core problem is a spiritual problem. It is a spiritual problem that finds its origination in the Garden of Eden where the man and woman independently, in other words, not being coerced by one another, not one kind of drafting behind the other or one being responsible, that each equal in responsibility look at God and say, I know clearly what you want, but I'm not going to do it. I know better than you. And a consequence of living with that thought that you know better than God, that you can take his place, that you can create for yourself what seems to make sense, is the reason why not just in marriages, but in every relationship, there is brokenness. So what is the way back? Well, fortunately for you, just as we saw some art there, I have made some art as well with my drawings that I have. So I made some more drawings for you. So, um, <clears throat> so, th- so here what, what happens is, um, like I said, Eve had her, has her own idea of what was right about the world. And Adam has his own idea about what, what's right about the world. And invariably, what's going to happen is this. You see? And, and, and it, it has to happen this way. And this is what happens. When you, when you go, you know what? I don't really think that, that I'll, I'll just come with my, I'll take a little bit of the Bible, I'll take a little bit of this mysticism, I'll take a little bit of this philosophy and, you know, whatever, and I'll put it all together and I'll make it my own, you know, in a sense, idol, code. It's going to be different than, than your partner or your spouse or whatever, right? And so, or your friend even. So invariably, you're operating by different rules and different categories of how you, how you, what, what's right and wrong and what's good for you. So it's going to always create distance. This is why, you know, you can have a certain code of ethics that can keep you living under the same roof and have, have some level of peace and, and, you know, even some level of intimacy, of course. But, you know, when I, when I counsel, um, do premarital counseling for couples, we always, especially when I was doing it a lot a few years ago, I don't do as much anymore, but when I was doing it, I would always get to the spiritual part because I did a lot of non-Christian weddings. That was a ministry I had for a while. Is I, I did all kinds of weddings for people that weren't, they didn't go to church at all, but they really liked uh, what, what, we, what I had to offer them in terms of being a pastor and some of the stuff we talk about. And so when we get to the spiritual part, you know, they talk about, well, we love horseback riding together and we love going to the movies and we love traveling and we're, we're so tight. And I go, well, let's talk about your spiritual life. And it was like the language would just disappear. Uh, uh, well, I was raised Catholic but I don't really like them. And, well, I went to a Baptist church, but they were crazy, and so, I, so we just kind of like, I don't know. Well, how are you going to raise your kids? Well, we hadn't really talked about that. Well, what happens if this marriage thing actually does work out, and you guys live to be very, very old, and one of you sits at the bedside while the other one's dying? What are you going to say to that other person about what to expect? Uh, I never thought of that. Okay. So you have, you like horseback riding, and you like going to movies, that's fun. 
But that's not what this is about. This is about, as our connecto, this is about strength to the point of weakness. This is about deep intimacy. This is about being able to understand and live with one another and encourage one another in the most deep and intimate ways. So if you have a child, maybe the child doesn't make it. What do you do? What's your grid? Who do you follow? We never talked about it. And you think you're going to get married? I'm just, I'm just saying, like, this is the kind of thing, right? And so, so um, and I know this because, you know, last week, or no, I'm sorry, yesterday, yesterday, I was in Chicago, and there was a guy in our denomination. We were, a bunch of people from our denomination got together, some conferences and meetings and whatnot, and I was meeting with these church planning guys, and we have one guy who's rather high up in our organization who's leaving now because he can no longer handle his job because he is in a uh, very advanced stage of pancreatic cancer. 59 years old. Very healthy guy. And so he's sitting there, and we brought him in because um, a b- bunch of us know him, and we, we were in, in the midst of this meeting, and we were sitting there, and there was, there was his wife. And I, and I got to tell you, like, I was listening to him talk because he's like, you know, this, I'm, I'm stepping away from my, my role, and this may be the last time that any of you see me, maybe ever again. And he began to talk about his journey a little bit and how just fatigue with chemo and life that just made realistically giving all he can to our denomination as kind of the second guy in charge of the whole thing was just kind of hard. And his wife is sitting there and he talks about, you know, I've wanted to live well, but now I want to die well. And as he's talking, I'm sitting there and I'm asking myself, could I do that, right? Could I sit there knowing that, yeah, God can heal, but that's not always his will because everybody dies and everybody dies at different times. So he might heal him, but the odds are that he won't. I hate, I just, I don't know how else to say it. Can I say, not only have I lived well, but I want to die well. And it's with his wife right there. And it's like, they both understand that even if, even if he, if he dies, they believe so deeply in their hearts that this is not the end. And so while there's all this kind of like, you know, fear of the, of the process and, and sadness of the, of the goodbyes and the change in life and oh, I thought I was going to have all this time and that, that sort of thing, it's totally natural. There also isn't just this like complete devastation of just, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help you. It wasn't there. There was a deep peace. And I told him, I said, because I, I, said, I said, Brian, I don't know you all that well. But I said, um, just from what you've said, I said you've, you, you not only have done your job as someone who's like hard-charging, activator, kind of high-speed guy, who's done a lot in his life, but now as you're dealing with this, you're accomplishing even more because you're teaching me. You're teaching me. And we all gathered around and we prayed for him. Him and his wife sitting there, we put our hands and prayed for them for peace and for strength. But they walk as one with a clear understanding that they made a commitment to one another. So the answer then, what is the way back? Well, the way back is very simple. It's in several things, and the first thing is this, on our end at least, it's faith and obedience, and that's illustrated in the next drawing that's fabulous, right? 
Because you see, with faith and obedience, what happens is as you're submitting and surrendering your life to God, and you go, you know what, God? I know you tell me that, that, uh, that this, I shouldn't do this. And even though I think I should, I think you probably know more than I do in this situation. So I'm going to trust you and try to conform my life to what it is you want from me. And as you do that, you begin to grow closer to him and your, your, your spouse begins to grow closer to him as, as he or she is doing that, right? And then you grow closer together and that's the next beautiful drawing that I made. And look, hey, we're closer, right? And then he says, yeah, how you doing, right? Because I could see you much better now, right? Hey. How's it going? Like, but look, and we're closer. And we are. Look, we're closer because we both are going the same direction because we're both submitting to what? The same God. So as they pursue God, they're growing together. Not only that, but we talk about the, the commitment. When we, and this is important. When we walk in disobedience to God, we cannot be what our spouse needs us to be. We cannot do what we committed and said we would do. And for so many of us, your spouse becomes your caretaker, your therapist, your designated driver, and you're left with nothing to give. See, and it's so hard because we have to remember that we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for the glory of God, and we exist so that we can build up the other, right? So the way back to Eden is, doesn't start with like, well, I guess I need to learn more about how women think. Okay, that's marginally helpful, but what's even more helpful than that is to go, I need to know what God thinks about me, what God says about me, why I'm here, what I'm, what I'm supposed to do, what, how, how I'm supposed to live as a man, or how I'm supposed to live as a woman, right? And, and when you begin to figure those things out, you invariably become a person who is more equipped to be that other, right? See, sin wiped away the ability Adam and Eve had to be who God created them to be for one another. That was so, was so terrible about it. And we'll talk about the specifics of that next week when we get into the, the, the consequences of, of the sin. But just know it's evidence from the story. Adam's role was, was to, to provide for her and to care for her. And he throws her under the bus. I don't even think he would have cared if God would have just wiped her out and brought him another one. You know, as long as I'm off the hook. It's not you doing your job. Of course, she takes no responsibility either. So, you know, but by the way, this isn't just marriage, because this isn't just mar a marriage per se. This is a marriage uh, series per se. This is human relationships in general. It's just intensified in marriage. So you single people need to know this as well. It's not just about marriage. It's about manhood and womanhood that, that, that are torn down. That's what sin does. So all I'm trying to illustrate or help us understand is the importance that our issues are spiritual. The world wants to tell us they're psychological. And of course, we, we, you know, psychology is helpful and, and psychiatry is helpful. There's, there's helpful things. But the deep root cause has to do with my relationship to God, number one, number one. And you cannot move forward in life until you deal with that issue. So we have to contend with that. So that's the answer to the second question. How do we get back? Well, the, the answer to that is faith and obedience. Manhood is corrupt when it's manhood without God. Toxic masculinity is toxic when it's left up to the judgment of the man apart from God. Womanhood is corrupt without God. It, is, it becomes toxic in its own way. But here's the beautiful thing I want to end with. God doesn't leave us alone in this. 
See, there are three consequences that emerge from this and, and he, um, that he's going to tell Adam and Eve, are, this is like basically, this is what's going to happen now. This is how the world's going to work since we're in this new reality where you now understand shame and you carry guilt. You carry guilt. You carry uh, responsibility for something that you did. You've changed the world forever, okay? So he talks, he's going to talk to the serpent and then to, tend to her and then to him. Okay, so, but, but we're only going to talk about the serpent and then we're going to save the consequences for, of, of Adam and Eve for next week. But this is what I want you to know. Because he, tells, he talks to the serpent and he basically says to the serpent, from now on you're going to crawl on your belly. So there's a lot of speculation, you know, what did the serpent look like before the fall, that sort of thing. But there's this idea that you've been punished for your role in all of this. And so snakes crawl on their bellies. And of course, you know, um, we always, we understand this to be Satan, the deceiver, working through this particular animal. So, but this is the important part that he says in verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And right there, you guys, right there is the sign of redemption first sign, the first glimmer, the first, wait a second, it's not over. In fact, what's going to happen is the very serpent that deceived Eve, this very woman is now going to produce an offspring that's going to turn around and crush the head of the serpent so that someday we'll be back. And right there is the beginnings of God's not done with you. God's not done with me. Right there is the beginning of what? See, Adam and Eve were hiding. God was coming. God was pursuing. Okay? And I think a lot of times people go, well, where's God? Where is God? Like God's hiding? No, God's not the one that hides. I know he does, and it, it seems like he hides sometimes. I get that. But just know that he's not. We're the ones that typically hide. God is always there, and he's looking for you. He, he's always there to reveal himself. And when we fall, he doesn't go, I'm done with you. No, he just says, where are you? Do you understand that? Like, you, you, you might be struggling with alcoholism. You might be struggling with all kinds. You might be in a, in a relationship that you know is ungodly. You carry all this guilt, and you don't want anyone to know. Whatever it is, I don't know. You, like, we go on for hours listing all the ways we can get ourselves in trouble in this world. What's happening is, you know, this is what's, you're hiding because you don't want anybody to know. And all God's doing is going, hey, where are you? I miss you. I made this whole world for you. And, and you've reduced yourself to just hiding behind a little tree or a little bush. That's not the world I made for you. Come out. Well, where are you? I know where you are, but you get the right. Where are you? That's what God's asking you. And, and he's going to provide what from the woman? The seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's heel. Or the head, the serpent's head, rather. And who is that? None other than Jesus himself. That Jesus is the one who's going to come from the woman. Right there is predicted. Someday I will provide the sacrifice. Someday I will wear and bear and take on my shoulders the sin of Adam and Eve so that we can be free, so that we can get back. The road back is faith and obedience in what? In God's mercy and God's love and God's revelation of Jesus. We've got to take this 
and work it into the fabric of how we understand the world. And I really believe as we do that, we'll, we will see clearly, no matter what craziness this culture comes up with, because there will always be something. Let's pray together. God, as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I know there's some of us in here who are hiding. And they are trapped in a web of deceit and lies, and they have isolated themselves from everyone around them. Sure, they may have friends, but it's dark and lonely. God, would you speak to their hearts right now with that question? Hey, where are you? Where'd you go? I miss you. It's okay. Come out. Come out. It's time to believe again. It's time to trust again. I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. Your life matters. God, thank you that through, as a result of our sin, because we wear it just as much as Adam and Eve, we are as responsible as they. You provide a sacrifice. You provide a way out. Your son, Jesus. Thank you that all who call upon his name can be forgiven and free, can come out of the shadows and be who you made us to be, men and women, strong, beautiful, radiant, because we were made in your image to be holy and to be pure. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.